بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما Last week in our lesson of the biography of the seerah of the Prophet وسلم, we talked about the various attempts of the Quraysh to try to stop the da'wah of the Prophet and those efforts of the Quraysh to stop the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, from preaching Islam those efforts went through many stages they tried everything that they could to stop the da'wah but to no avail and last week we spoke about their attempt to try to discredit the Prophet ﷺ by demanding that he perform some certain miracles, bring some water gushing forth from the earth, or make a house for yourself made out of gold and silver, or fly in the sky and bring down a book, or let us see with our own eyes Allah and the angels. They try to challenge the Prophet ﷺ to bring forth these types of miracles. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam a choice. Jibreel alayhi salam came down to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and said to him, Inna Allah yukhayyuruk. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving you a choice. In shi'ta sabart. If you would like, you can be patient upon their ridicule, upon their mockery. Wa in shi'ta and if you wish, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give them some of the miracles that they are asking for. But it is well known that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives people a sign like this, when the disbelievers ask for a sign and they are given that sign, exactly what they asked for by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and still they disbelieve even after that, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala punishes them with a special punishment. A punishment that he reserves specifically for these type of people who ask for a sign and then when the sign comes, they still disbelieve even after seeing that sign. There is a special punishment reserved for these type of people that is not given to others. Even if you look at the history of previous prophets, and in particular, if you look at the example of the Prophet Salih and his people, the Thamud, they asked for a specific sign. They asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bring from one of the rocks in the mountains, to bring forth from that rock a she-camel that was 10 months pregnant and that's tall and beautiful and strong. They asked for a specific sign. And Salih said to them, okay, if you get this sign, will you believe? They said, yes, of course, then we will believe if we see it. And then Salih made dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ya Allah, give them what they're asking for. And surely the rock split and the camel, the same type of camel that they had described, came out from that rock. And some of them did believe. After seeing that, a few people, they did believe in Salih But many of them continued upon their disbelief and then Salih said to them after these people continue to disbelieve Salih said to them don't bother this camel 
let this camel eat from the earth of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and don't even touch it in a bad way. And if you do, a very severe punishment is going to come to you. But they didn't listen to Salih alayhi salam. Even after seeing this clear sign from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they went ahead and they actually killed that camel. They killed it. And then Salih alayhi salam said to them, تَمَتَّعُوا فِي دَارِكُمْ Enjoy yourselves for three more days. You have three more days to enjoy your life. And then the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to come. This is a promise. And this promise is going to come true. And surely the Thamud were punished with a very, very severe punishment. Earthquakes that shook the land. And a piercing loud sound. Imagine. Imagine being killed by a sound, a sound that's so severe that you drop dead by hearing that sound. So they fell dead in their, in their houses and they just became dead bodies. They were all killed at one time. So this is the type of punishment that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives to people who ask for a sign and when they get the exact sign that they were asking for, they still disbelieve. So the Prophet ﷺ, he knew this. And he feared that perhaps even if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does give them some sign, they will still disbelieve and the same type of punishment, a severe punishment will come to them and they will all be destroyed. So out of his mercy for his people, he said to them, he said to Jibreel alayhi salam, Bal asbir. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent Jibreel alayhi salam to give that choice, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, Bal asbir. I will be patient upon their ridicule, upon their mockery. Perhaps Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will allow some people to come from their descendants. Maybe even if they don't believe, perhaps their children or their grandchildren or future generations that come from them, they will believe. So I have that hope, I have that optimism. So the Prophet ﷺ remained patient and he didn't ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to send a miracle to those people because he feared the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon them. This is just another, another example of the mercy of Rasulullah to Al-Alameen, to all of creation. Even though these people spent all of their time trying to harm the Prophet the Prophet ﷺ was even merciful towards them. He didn't want the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to come down upon them. So when this failed, when they were unable to stop the da'wah of the Prophet ﷺ through demanding these types of miracles, that plan didn't work. So they tried the next step. There was a man from the Quraysh, his name was An-Nadr ibn al-Harith. And he was an explorer. He was someone who used to travel around different lands, you know, and sit with people from different cultures and different lands and learn from them and gain experience from different types of societies. So he was basically an explorer or a traveler. He used to journey to different lands. He was from the Quraysh, but he lived in Taif. And he was very famous in Taif for being a storyteller, meaning he used to tell the stories of his journeys in different parts of the world. He used to tell the stories of his travels to Persia and his travels 
to Asham and his travels here and there. He used to travel to so many different places. And he would talk about his experiences during those travels. And of course, that's something that's interesting to hear. When someone travels to a different land that you have not been to before, and then they come and they talk about what they experienced in that land, that's something interesting. That's something that you want to hear about, right? So he used to sit in Taif and he used to tell the stories of his travels and he used to have a pretty big audience listening to what he had to say. So the Quraysh, they said, look, we're going to call him back from Taif and tell him to come back to Mecca so that he can tell his stories in Mecca so that it will distract attention from the da'wah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and the people will be drawn towards him. So look at their thinking. They're just trying to think of any way that they can get people to stop listening to the call of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So they called another Ibn al-Harith and they said, come back to Mecca tell your stories here in Mecca. So he agreed and he came to Mecca. And whenever the Prophet ﷺ would want to speak to a gathering, another would be nearby and he would start talking about his travels to distract attention away from the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ and draw attention to himself. This was the plan of the Quraysh and it actually worked somewhat for a while. Right? The people, they thought, oh wow, this is interesting. This guy has traveled to so many exotic places that we have never even dreamed about. Let's, let's hear what he has to say. So he actually did get an audience and the plan of the Quraysh, at the beginning, it somewhat worked. And there was some distraction that was caused from the da'wah of the Prophet Muhammad towards this man, another Ibn al-Harith. But it didn't last for very long. The guy had his stories, he told his stories, and after a while, okay, the people heard what they had to hear, they got bored of it. This is not something that you can just talk about forever. You tell your stories, and the people hear those stories, and that's it, it's finished. So they listened to it for a while, but after some time, they started getting bored of it. And what happened when they got bored? They went back to listening to the Prophet Muhammad again. So again, the plan of the Quraysh, this time they thought that they got it because at first they saw that it looked like it was succeeding. But then after some time, nobody wanted to listen to another Ibn al-Harith anymore. And he was not able to grab any more attention from the da'wah of the Prophet So that plan failed as well. So everything that they have tried up to now has failed. And many of the things that they tried not only failed, but they actually backfired. They made the da'wah of the Prophet Muhammad actually stronger. So now they're out of options. So they're thinking, what should we do now? So they decided, okay, that's it. Anyone who becomes a Muslim, we will punish them physically and psychologically and we will torture them. We will torture them. If the person is from a weak tribe or he doesn't have any tribal affiliation and he doesn't have any protection from his tribe, then anyone can go ahead and torture him and nobody can stop them. But if he's someone maybe from a higher family or he has some tribal affiliation, then his own people or his own family should torture him. Because if someone from outside the family tortures him, then, you know, because of the tribal loyalties, there will be a problem. But if someone from his own family and his own tribe tortures him, then that can go along. So this is the plan that they made. If anyone doesn't have a powerful social status, then anyone can go ahead and torture them and nobody's going to stop them. But if it's someone who has some type of a status in the society, then his own family has to take care of his torture. 
So they agreed upon this evil scheme and this evil plan. And many of the early Muslims, they were tortured in such a way, especially the weak Muslims who didn't have those tribal affiliations. So you have heard, I'm sure, about stories of the way that Bilal ibn Rabah was tortured. And he was a slave from Habasha, what is now known as Ethiopia. So he didn't have any tribal protection. He was a slave. So he was tortured and he was tortured very viciously by his owner, Umayyah ibn Khalaf. There were others from the weak Muslims in Mecca who were tortured as well. Khabbab ibn al-Arat, uh, Yasir and his family, Yasir and his wife Sumayyah and their son Ammar radiallahu anhum ajma'in. They were weak and they didn't have any type of social status. So they were tortured very severely. And as for Bilal radiallahu anhu, Umayyah ibn Khalaf, who was the one who was torturing him, the way that he used to torture him, it was so severe. In the heat of the desert of Mecca, imagine how hot Mecca gets in the summer when the sun is out. Imagine the, the sand or the dirt of the desert when the sun is out in the middle of the day. How does that sand get? You can't even touch that sand. It's like boiling. That's how hot it is. It will burn you. So what Umayyah ibn Khalaf used to do to Bilal radiallahu anhu, he used to take him and he used to make him without a shirt, take off his shirt and lie down on that scorching sand. He had to lie down on that scorching desert sand with his bare back. So it would actually burn his back. Not only that, then he would get some of his other slaves to pick up a heavy stone. And he would have to get a number of slaves to pick up the stone. It wasn't just a light stone. It took a number of people to carry it. So he would get this heavy stone. Stone that was also sitting in the sweltering heat. So the stone is also very hot. So he's lying with his back on the scorching sand and then they would put this heavy stone, hot stone on his chest. And they would tell him to insult Allah or to insult Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And if you do this, we will stop torturing you. But all he would say, all he would say was, Ahad, 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 Ahad. That means one. Allah is one. Allah is one. He would keep saying this. And as he would keep saying it, they would increase in their torture of him. Later on, Bilal radiallahu anhu was asked, why did you used to just say that all the time? Why did you say Ahad, Ahad? And then Bilal radiallahu anhu said, no, I used to say, actually when they first started torturing me, I used to say a lot of things to them. I used to talk back to them. And I used to say many things. But I noticed when I would say Ahad, they would get really mad. I could see it in their face. It would make them really, really angry. And they would torture me more because of that. But that feeling of making them so angry used to give me delight. I used to feel happy when I see how angry they become by me saying this. So I would do it just to make them mad. Even though it increased my torture, I really didn't care about that. But just to see the anger in them and the hopelessness in them by me saying this word, it gave me pleasure to do it. It gave me delight to see this in their faces. So I would say, Ahad, 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 Ahad.
So this is the firmness that these people had in the face of such difficulty, in the face of such physical torture. Subhanallah. anhum ajma'in. Then we also have a slave girl from Bani Mu'ammil. She was a slave girl. So of course, slaves, they didn't have any social position. They didn't have any social status. So it was easy to torture them without any consequences. So there was a slave girl from Bani Mu'ammil. She was one of the slaves from Bani Mu'ammil. And Umar ibn al-Khattab he is the one who took responsibility to torture her. And of course, this was before Umar ibn al-Khattab became Muslim. Before he became a Muslim, he took or he volunteered actually to torture this slave girl from Bani Mu'ammil. And Umar ibn al-Khattab, he was very physically strong. He was very well respected. He was actually feared by the people because of his high status. And he volunteered to torture this slave girl from Bani Mu'ammil. So he would beat her, he would torture her, and he would do whatever he could. And she would be patient upon that and she would not leave her religion. She would stay firm upon La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah. So sometimes Umar ibn Khattab would torture her so badly for such a long period of time. And then he would say to her, he would apologize to her. He would not apologize to her for torturing her, but he would, in a way of mockery and sarcasm, he would apologize when he had to leave. He would say, I'm very sorry. I have to stop torturing you for today because I'm very busy and I have some other work to do. I will come back tomorrow and continue the torture. Don't worry. He would say it to her like this in a sarcastic way to mock her. And she would say right back to him, she was saying, Allah is the one who made you sick of torturing me today. So they would make sure that they say these things that make the disbelievers or the people who are torturing them even more angry because they were very, very firm on their belief. And no matter what type of torture was dished out to them, they were ready to be patient upon it because they knew that the reward would be with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this was the torture of the girl from Bani Mu'ammil. Then we have the family of Yasir radiallahu anhum, one of the most honorable families in Islam from the early Muslims. Yasir radiallahu anhu and his wife Sumayyah radiallahu anha and their young son Ammar radiallahu anhu. Very honorable family. All three of them accepted Islam. They were weak in terms of social status. So they were an easy target. So who took responsibility for torturing the family of Yasir? It was none other than the Fir'aun of this Ummah himself, Abu Jahl. And we have spoken about Abu Jahl before. He was from the most evil of the Kuffar of the Quraysh and the most vicious of the Kuffar of the Quraysh. And he took it upon himself to torture the family of Yasir. So he would torture them and beat them so severely. He would hang them up and then he would whip them. He would flog them with a whip and he would torture them continuously. And the Prophet ﷺ would see this happening and he was powerless to do anything. 
Of course, he felt the pain for his followers, for his believers, but he was not able to do anything about it. But he would say to them, when he would see them in such a state, he would say, Sabran ala yasir, Sabran ala yasir, fa'inna mawidakumul jannah. Be patient, O family of Yasir. Be patient, O family of Yasir. Surely your appointment is in Jannah. Surely you will be given Jannah. So with these words, he would comfort them, knowing that yes, they have to go through this torture for now, but in the end, their reward will be Jannah. So one day when the Prophet ﷺ was trying to comfort the family of Yasir, Abu Jahl saw this and Abu Jahl started as he used to do regularly he started to insult the Prophet ﷺ. and Sumayyah even though she herself was being tortured she herself was being tortured when she saw Abu Jahl insult the Prophet ﷺ, she jumped to his defense and she shouted out at Abu Jahl, how dare you speak like that to the Messenger of Allah even though at the same time she herself was being tortured. But she couldn't bear to see anyone speak in such a manner to the Messenger of Allah This is the love that they had for Rasulullah more than the love that they had for their own lives. So when she saw this, even though she was being tortured herself, she spoke out at Abu Jahl. And Abu Jahl, he turned back to her and he struck her with such a blow that he killed her. So Abu Jahl killed Sumayyah And Sumayyah anha is the first martyr in Islam. She is the first person who died in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for Islam. So the first martyr, the first shahida was, was a woman. And if you look back, who was the first believer, the first person who believed in the Prophet Muhammad It was his wife, Khadija anha. So the first believer in the Prophet was a woman. And the first martyr in Islam was also a woman. So this is the status that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given women in Islam. So Sumayyah anha has that sharaf, she has that honor to be the first martyr in the history of Al-Islam. So Abu Jahl, the Fir'aun of this Ummah, murdered her. After she was killed, her husband Yasir an, he wasn't afraid. And he spoke back to Abu Jahl as well. Even though he was being tortured, he didn't keep quiet and he spoke back to Abu Jahl as well. And Abu Jahl, out of his anger, he also killed Yasir. So both the wife and the husband were martyrs in Islam. Sumayyah anha was killed first and Yasir anha was killed after her by Abu Jahl. So now the only surviving member of the family was their young son Ammar ibn Yasir anhuma. And Abu Jahl continued to torture him severely and he was waiting to be killed as well. The torture was so severe that he was waiting, okay, I'm, this is probably the end for me. I'm going to die. And he was ready to die. But Abu Jahl didn't want to kill him. Abu Jahl really just wanted him to say something against the Prophet ﷺ or say something against Islam. So he continued to torture him severely, but he didn't kill him. 
So one day the torture became so severe. He was torturing him and beating him continuously for hours and hours and hours and hours. And he said to him, insult the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, and then I will stop torturing you. Just say this word of insult to the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, and I will stop. And he continued to torture him for hours and hours and hours. And Ammar, he stood firm for a long time, but eventually being tortured like that, he couldn't take it anymore. And he said what Abu Jahl wanted him to say. The words came out of his mouth, what Abu Jahl wanted him to say against the Prophet ﷺ. Even though his heart was firm upon Iman. He said this because of the severity of the torture that he had to undergo. So after he said it, Abu Jahl promised that if he says this, he'll stop torturing him. Did Abu Jahl stop torturing him? No, he continued to torture him. This shows the character of this man, a person who doesn't keep his promises, a person who only lies when he speaks. This was Abu Jahl. He continued to torture him. Then Abu Jahl saw a small insect on the ground, like a beetle crawling on the ground. And he asked Ammar, what is this? And then Ammar said, this is a beetle. It's a small insect. And then Abu Jahl said to him, no, that's your Lord. That is your Lord. You have to say that this is your Lord and then I will stop torturing you. So he continued to torture him until it became so severe that Ammar finally said, okay, this insect is my Lord. And then Abu Jahl finally stopped. Now Ammar radiallahu anhu was so worried. He didn't care about the physical pain that he was feeling, but he was so scared about what came out of his mouth under that torture. So he went to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and he was, he was so much in pain. Not, the physical pain was there of course, but the psychological pain that he was going through was much worse because he feared that what he said would be held against him. So he went to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and he said, Ya Rasulullah, he tortured me so much that he made me say this against you and I said it. And he tortured me so much that he made me say that this beetle was my Lord and I said it, Ya Rasulullah. He went to the Prophet and he admitted what he did and he feared the consequences of this. And the Prophet comforted him. He said, don't worry. Your, your heart is pure and your heart is on Iman. I know that and Allah knows that. And if he does it to you again, then do the same thing as you did again. If he tortures you like that and he makes you say it again, say it again. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed regarding this incident, إِلَّا مَنْ أُكْرِهَا وَقَلْبُهُ مُطْمَئِنٌ بِالْإِيمَانِ The person who commits kufr, of course, there is a severe punishment for this person. إِلَّا مَنْ أُكْرِهَا وَقَلْبُهُ مُطْمَئِنٌ بِالْإِيمَانِ Except for the person who is forced to say a word of kufr. He is forced to say it because of this physical torture. But his heart is at rest with Iman. His heart has the comfort of Iman in it. So as long as his heart is clean and his Iman is unwavering in his heart, if he was forced to say something out of torture, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not hold that against anyone. So this is the type of torture that the early Sahaba that they had to go through. Subhanallah, radiallahu anhum 
ajma'in. There were some slaves also. There were some slaves who had accepted Islam and they were tortured very severely. And we spoke about Bilal radiallahu an, and we spoke about the slave girl of Bani Mu'ammil who used to be tortured by Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu an. There was also a woman who, whose name was Zunaira. And she was a weak woman as well and she was tortured for accepting Islam. And she was tortured to such an extent and beaten to such an extent that she became blind. Imagine this, being beaten to such an extent that you lose your eyesight. This is what they had to go through. So she lost her eyesight, she became blind. And when she became blind, the people who were torturing her, the kuffar of the Quraysh, they said, you know who made you blind? You know who took away your eyesight? Allat and Al-Uzza and Hubal, they made you blind. The idols are punishing you for becoming a Muslim, so they made you blind. This is what they said to her. So what happened? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to show these people and teach these people a lesson. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave her back her eyesight. She was able to see again after, after they said that to her. And then what did she say to them? What did she say back to them? She said, Allah is the one who gave me back my eyesight. And they were silenced because of this. So this is the firmness of Iman that these people had. They wouldn't even remain quiet even when they were being tortured. They would proudly show their Islam without fear of torture and without fear of death. Radiallahu anhum ajma'in. There was another slave girl. Her name was An-Nahdiya. She accepted Islam along with her daughter. So the two of them, they became Muslim. And they were slaves. And they were owned by a woman of the Quraysh. And this woman who owned them, she used to torture them. She used to beat them. And Abu Bakr radiallahu an saw this happening. And he tried to reason with the owner, with this woman. He said, why are you beating them like this? Why are you torturing them like this? And then she said, it is because they left the religion of our forefathers and they became Muslim. And I will not stop torturing them. I will not stop beating them until they leave this new religion. And Abu Bakr radiallahu an tried to reason with her, but she wouldn't listen to anything. Finally, Abu Bakr radiallahu an said, okay, let me buy them from you. Let me buy these slaves from you. I'll buy them. So she agreed. She said, okay. And she sold those slaves and Nahdiya radiallahu anha and her daughter radiallahu anha to Abu Bakr radiallahu anh. And as soon as Abu Bakr bought them, he freed them. He freed them. So this was the, the first instance of slaves being freed for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Abu Bakr radiallahu anh bought an Nahdiya and her daughter and freed them for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the first incident of that happening. And Abu Bakr radiallahu an saw that this was a good way to at least help some of the Muslims from the torture that they had to undergo. At least the slaves. He said, okay, I am in a position. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed me with wealth. I can help these people. Let me help them. So Abu Bakr radiallahu an after that, he bought a number of slaves who had become Muslims. He bought many of them and he freed them all. And of course, these slaves who had become Muslims, were they the strong ones or the weak people? They were the weak people. 
So he was buying these weak slaves and then freeing them for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Abu Bakr's father, Abu Quhafa, an, at that time he was not a Muslim. He became a Muslim much later on. So the father of Abu Bakr, Abu Quhafa, was not a Muslim. And he said to his son, he said to Abu Bakr, why are you buying these weak slaves? When someone buys a slave, they look for the slave who is the strongest one so that they can help them out. Right? But you just buy these weak slaves and you free them. How are they ever going to help you in the future if you ever need anything from them? And then Abu Bakr said to his father, he said, I'm not, I'm not seeking any help from them. Rather, I am doing this for Allah. I am doing this for the pleasure of Allah alone. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed regarding Abu Bakr and his purchase of slaves and his freeing of slaves. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed ayat of the Quran regarding this. Beautiful. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, The person who has taqwa. And here it's regarding Abu Bakr radiallahu This person will be saved from the fire of Jahannam. He is the person who spends his wealth to purify himself. He spends his wealth in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as a purification. And he doesn't seek any type of reward from anyone else except Allah. All he seeks is the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, his Lord. All he seeks is the pleasure of his Lord, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives a promise to Abu Bakr as-Siddiq in the last ayah of Surah Al-Layl. And he will be pleased. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is promising that Abu Bakr radiallahu an will be pleased. Subhanallah. What better gift can you get than that? Allah is saying you will be happy. You will be pleased. This is the status of Abu Bakr radiallahu an. And this is what he did to help those early Muslims who were going through such torture. He would buy the slaves and free them for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And perhaps the most beautiful example of Abu Bakr radiallahu an freeing a slave for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is when Abu Bakr radiallahu an bought Bilal. When Abu Bakr radiallahu an bought Bilal radiallahu an. So he went to the owner of Bilal, Umayyah ibn Khalaf. Abu Bakr said to him, let me buy Bilal. I want to buy Bilal. And Umayyah ibn Khalaf said to him, he said, sure, I will sell him to you. It is because of you that he became corrupted. You are the one who caused him to become like this. So yeah, I'll sell him to you. He's of no use to me. So Abu Bakr said, okay, how much do you want? And Umayyah ibn Khalaf said, I want 10 gold coins. I will sell Bilal to you for 10 gold coins. Abu Bakr radiallahu said, okay. He went back to his home. He collected 10 gold coins. He gave them to Umayyah ibn Khalaf. And Umayyah ibn Khalaf, he took these 10 gold coins and he started laughing. And then Abu Bakr radiallahu asked him, why are you laughing? He said, you know, 
if you had just tried to negotiate with me a little bit when I said 10 gold coins, this slave is so worthless to me, I would have sold him to you for just one gold coin. And then Abu Bakr looked at him in the eyes and he said, you know what? If you had tried to bargain with me, if you had tried to negotiate with me and said, I will not sell you Bilal except for 100 gold coins, I would have given you 100 gold coins. This was Abu Bakr And this is how he spent his wealth to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He didn't care how much it was because he knew it was in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he knew that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would reward him for it. So Bilal radiallahu anhu was sold to Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu and Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu freed him as he freed the other slaves that he had purchased. And that's why Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu used to say about Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, Abu Bakr sayyiduna wa a'taqa sayyidana. Abu Bakr is our leader and he freed our leader Bilal radiallahu anhu. He used to call Bilal Sayyid. Umar bin Khattab used to call Bilal radiallahu anhu Sayyiduna. He is our leader. So Abu Bakr is our leader and he freed our leader. So this is the type of difficulties that those early weak Muslims had to go through. And this is the way that those whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had blessed tried to help them. Radiallahu anhum ajma'een. So it got to a very, very severe level that these early Sahaba were tortured in such a way. And years later, during the Khilafah of Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu, when he was the Khalifa, and the Muslims at that time, they were very powerful. Khabbab ibn al-Arat, who was one of those early companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, who had to go through a lot of torture. Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu turned to Khabbab and he said, Ya Khabbab, you are one of those early companions of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam who went through a lot of torture. Tell us about what you went through. So Khabbab, he took off his shirt. He took off his shirt and he exposed his back. And when Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu saw his back, he said, Wallahi, I have never seen anything like this before. From the top of his back all the way to the bottom, it was all burned the skin and, and Umar bin Khattab asked Khabbab how did this happen what happened he said early on when the Muslims were being tortured in the beginning stages of Islam you know the way that they tortured me they took a big stone and they lit a fire on the stone they lit a fire on the stone so it was hot like charcoal and they would take me, they would drag me by my legs. They would drag me by my legs so that they would pull me across that burning stone and my back would be charred against it while they pull me by my legs. That's how they used to torture me. And you see the effects of that on my back even now. So Umar ibn Khattab asked Khabbab, so what did you do? What did you do when they did that? He said, I went to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was by the Kaaba. And he had made his cloak into a pillow. And he was lying down. And Khabbab ibn al-Arat came to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he said to him, Ya Rasulullah, Aathatna Quraysh. 
the Quraysh, they have really, really crossed the limits in their torture to us. Will you not make dua for us, Ya Rasulullah? Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to send us help and send us victory. And then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, there were people before you, there were people before you who were tortured to such an extent that a hole would be dug for them and they would put, be put in that hole. And then they would be cut on the top of their head into two pieces. And the torturers would take a comb made out of iron and they would scrape their flesh from their bones. They would scrape their flesh off from their bones while they were still alive. And even that wouldn't turn them away from saying La ilaha illallah. And then the Prophet ﷺ said, Wallahi layutimmanna Allahu hadha al-amr hatta yasira al-raakibu min san'a'a ila hadara mawt la yakhafu illa Allah wa dhi'ba ala ghanamih. Wallahi, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make this religion victorious until a time comes where a person riding an animal from Sana'a to Hadaramaut, those are two cities in Yemen, a person will ride his animal from Sana'a to Hadaramaut and he will fear no one except Allah. He will fear no one except Allah and the wolf on his sheep. He will fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone and he will fear wolf to come and eat his sheep and that's it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will eventually make this religion victorious. But you have to be patient. The time will come. But you are a people who are hasty. You want the victory to come quickly. But before that victory comes, you have to be patient. You have to be patient. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أَحَسِبَ النَّاسُ أَنْ يُتْرَكُوا أَنْ يَقُولُوا آمَنَّا وَهُمْ لَا يُفْتَنُونَ وَلَقَدْ فَتَنَّ الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِهِمْ فَلَيَعْلَمَنَّ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ صَدَقُوا وَلَيَعْلَمَنَّ الْكَاثِبِينَ Do the people think that they can just say, we believe and they will not be tested? And surely we tested the people before them. So we knew who are the truthful people and we knew who are the liars. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tests people. أَمْ حَسِبْتُمْ أَن تَدْخُلُوا الْجَنَّةِ وَلَمَّا يَأْتِكُمْ مَثَلُوا الَّذِينَ خَلَوْا مِنْ قَبْلِكُمْ مَسَّتْهُمُ الْبَأْسَاءُ وَالضَّرَّاءُ وَزُلْزِلُوا حَتَّى يَقُولَ الرَّسُولُ وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا مَعَهُ مَتَى نَصْرُ اللَّهِ أَلَا إِنَّ نَصْرَ اللَّهِ قَرِيبٌ Do you think that you will enter Jannah? And you will not have to face the difficulties that the people before you faced? They had to go through poverty. They had to go through hardship and difficulty. And they were shaken to such an extent until the messenger and the believers said, Mata Nasrullah. They asked, When is the help of Allah coming? Then Allah answers, Allah inna Nasrullahi qareeb. Surely the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is near. But it is from the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that His help comes after the people go through hardship and after they show their patience then the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comes. So these are our predecessors. These are the companions of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Look at the sacrifices they made. 
to bring this deen to us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with all of them. When the torture really, really crossed all boundaries and limits, finally Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave permission for the Muslims to make the first hijrah. That's not the hijrah to Al-Madinah. The first hijrah of the Muslims was a hijrah, was a migration to Habasha, which is modern day Ethiopia. And inshallah, next week we will talk about the migration of the Muslims to Habasha. Wallahu alam wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.